Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Tribe of Christians broadcast. I'm your host, founder and ministry leader, Brandon Dawson. In this very exclusive special four-part broadcast series titled The Call, I will be reading from the first four chapters of my new book, The Northeast Coast Prophecies. These very first few chapters detail the incredible transformation that launched my prophetic journey into the Northeast Coast prophecies, which laid the very foundations and groundwork of the incredible revelations that I would later receive detailed in the book. Now, the book has not yet been published. It is still in the final editing stages, but it details my incredible prophetic journey into the revelations and visions which reveal America's identity in biblical prophecy, both in its past, present, and future in the biblical prophetic timeline not revealed by any other ministry or book out there. All of these revelations and insights are first-hand original visions and revelations given to me about the nation. So if you would like to receive updates on when this book will become available, you can head over to our site and subscribe with your email in which you'll be notified instantly on any new announcements concerning the book. Also, if you're listening to this message on one of our podcast channels or on our YouTube or social media channels, I will include the link in the about sections where you can go and view some of the very personal photos that I have included from the book about my journey. I will also include the links for the last reading, which I just published in the two-part series, with my very horrifying encounters with Satan himself, uncovering major insights behind the horrific satanic rituals around abortion and child sacrifice, which is tied to the overall revelations of the Northeast Coast prophecies. Now, all that being said, let's jump right in. Chapter 6, The Lord Revealed Throughout my spiritual journey thus far, I had witnessed a remarkable series of supernatural occurrences firsthand. These incidents weren't random happenstances, each more bewildering than the last. Instead, they served a higher purpose, to bolster and fortify my faith and create a robust spiritual scaffolding upon which I would continue building my belief. Every whispered prayer that had been answered Every inexplainable healing I had witnessed, every vision and revelation, they had all etched themselves into the fabric of my faith. They were like glowing stars in my spiritual sky, their light guiding me through the shadows of doubt and despair. However, despite the strength of my faith that these divine encounters had nurtured, I grappled with lingering constraint. A subtle yet persistent limitation stood in my path a final hurdle that seemed to loom more prominent as I delved deeper into my spiritual journey. Have you ever heard that God loves you, only to find it a concept too elusive to grasp? That was my predicament. Although the scriptures resonated within me, and, for the most part, I held steadfast in their words, my life had been strewn with rejection, abandonment, deceit, and an overwhelming sense of self-loathing. I was often left wondering if God, amidst his infinite responsibilities, had time to consider someone like me. 
I had heard of his love through others' experiences in the profound verses of the Bible, yet I had yet to encounter this divine affection. When Jesus walked amongst us, he profoundly understood this human predicament. He recognized that merely believing in God's existence wasn't sufficient. Instead, he proposed a novel concept. We needed to intimately and personally experience his love. This stood in stark contrast to how the people of Israel traditionally viewed God through the mediating lens of their leaders, prophets, and kings. The prospect of a direct personal relationship with God was an unexplored territory for them. In those times, divine communications came solely through prophets or priests. Miracles were orchestrated by those who were anointed or ordained. However, Jesus brought a seismic shift in this paradigm. He not only professed God's love, but demonstrated it tangibly. Embodying God's love in human form, he proved that his love was not reserved for an elite few, but accessible to all, irrespective of their social status. This perspective lends a profound new depth to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. His words are not just to be read, but to be experienced at a deeply personal level. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 3-10 Suddenly, those considered blessed, anointed, or divinely favored were no longer distant figures with exclusive access to the omnipotent and omniscient God. Instead, they were ordinary people experiencing an intimate connection with a deeply loving God. And Jesus himself set the example. He granted sight to the blind, offered his healing touch to a leper, resurrected a grieving mother's deceased son, and performed innumerable other miracles. Each of these acts underscored the profoundly personal and universally accessible nature of his love. However, a singular moment forever changed the landscape of my heart. It was an ordinary Friday night, May 6, 2016, three months into my marriage with Tiffany. Unbeknownst to me, I was on the precipice of a divine encounter that would forever reshape my life and ministry. An experience steeped in forgiveness, grace, and humility was about to propel me from merely witnessing the supernatural to actively leading a life inspired by prophetic vision and dedicated to outreach. Around 1.30 a.m., a warm, golden glow began to illuminate from our living room, painting my closed eyelids with an erythial radiance. Unlike the harsh whiteness of a standard LED bulb, this light seemed imbued with personality and color, existing in a realm of its own. My curiosity surprisingly outweighed any sense of fear or trepidation, awakening me to the allure of this captivating luminescence. Our bedroom door stood slightly ajar to allow better air circulation and to give Jacob, our newly adopted cat, the freedom to roam. Although the events on 116th Street had significantly eased my anxieties, a lingering sense of caution manifested itself 
as an innate human defense mechanism constantly on alert for potential intruders, supernatural or otherwise. With a quiet resolve, I extracted myself from the enveloping warmth of our dark blue duvet, hesitantly navigating towards the beckoning light in the living room. Rather than a jolt of surprise, a profound calm washed over me when I discovered a man I didn't recognize seated on our couch. Despite this unfamiliarity, a sense of deep connection unfurled within me. It was as if I'd known him my entire life. A mysterious bond akin to the affection felt for a cherished family member or a lifelong friend. Foregoing formalities, the man invited me to sit beside him with the simple, Come, sit, while patting the available space on the couch. Despite my usually sharp observation skills, I overlooked the defining wounds on his hand that would have given away his identity. The man had jet black hair, slightly wavy, and brushing his shoulders, accentuated by a crisp white button-up collared dress shirt that seemed to suit his demeanor perfectly. His khaki pants, although lacking a freshly ironed crease, were wrinkle-free. He sat with bare feet firmly planted on the ground. Once again, I overlooked the defining wounds on his feet, perhaps due to the man's captivating presence or simple oversight. Nonetheless, I found myself gradually sinking into the cushioned comfort beside him. Ordinarily, an encounter with a stranger would be riddled with questions about their identity and purpose, yet such inquiries seemed insignificant in my present state. Rather than a wave of questions about his presence in my home, an inexplainable sense of familiarity prevailed. Now you might expect a flurry of questions about his identity or how he managed to enter my home. However, those lines of inquiry seemed inconsequential. Instead, a blend of intimidation and awe filled me. Breaking our comfortable silence, he asked, What did you think of the mountains? His question confused me, prompting a baffled reply. What mountains? I haven't seen any mountains. He responded calmly. Yes, you have. The ones by the airport. My confusion deepened. I witnessed an awe-inspiring mountains during a layover at Denver International Airport on April 14, 2015. I had scoured the landscape, searching for the perfect vista to appreciate their majesty. Still, it was only upon my plane's ascent that I was rewarded with a breathtaking view of the majestic peaks lining the Colorado skyline. This experience which had slipped into the recess of my memory was something I hadn't shared with anyone. Perplexed, I asked the man, How did you know about the mountains? He replied with a serene smile, Because I was there. But remember, you were never alone. I have always been with you. His simultaneously terrifying and thrilling words stirred a tumult of emotions within me. Tears welled in my eyes, and I lowered my head, trying to hide my emotional vulnerability. I bent back a sob, wrestling the tidal wave of emotions threatening to overcome me. Gently, the man lifted my bound head, brushed away my tears, and asked, Why are you crying? The awe-inspiring presence of the one to whom I spoke left me speechless. With a trembling voice, I managed to whisper, Because I know who you are. His soothing response was, Do not cry. I was shaped by a turbulent childhood fraught with abandonment, rejection, fear, failure, hatred, and neglect. 
My parents divorced when I was merely three years old, and by that time, I was eight or nine. Both had remarried. I barely knew either of them. My mother engrossed in her pursuits, was an elusive figure in my life, while my father, burdened with parenting responsibilities, juggled raising my sister and me with his army career. Those formative years were spent living with various relatives and babysitters while my father, an army sergeant, was often deployed overseas. Fragments of memories from this period began to surface, praying fervently with my grandmother for my father's safe return during the Gulf War, renting old-school Nintendo games from the video store while staying with my aunt in Minnesota, and even living with the stranger my father had hired during one of his deployments. After my father's return and discharge from the army, he moved my sister and me to live with our grandmother in Houston, Texas. Our interactions with him were sporadic at best. He worked night shifts as a tow truck driver and spent his days sleeping. The rare evenings he was home were spent at local bars. On designated weekends for my mother's visits, I would spend long hours waiting in the front yard. Her anticipated arrivals often turned into a heart-rending charade of my hopeful waiting, her eventual appearance, and her emotional absence persistent haunting feeling. Even when she was physically present, there was an evident void, as if her mind and heart were distant from the reality of our interactions. My father's remarriage heralded a significant change in my life. He had met my soon-to-be stepmother in a Sunday school class, a meeting facilitated by my persistent grandmother who had finally convinced him to attend church. This new union promised a constant maternal figure in my life, a role my biological mother seemed unable to consistently fill. Despite my grandmother's constant presence, I found the deep emotional bond I sought still out of reach. Much of her care and attention was undeniably dedicated to her three children from her previous marriage. While she certainly fulfilled her duties, managing the household and ensuring everyone was cared for, the deep maternal connection I'd yearned for remained elusive. Her physical presence was undeniable, but it didn't always translate into emotional availability for me. It seemed as though a shadow of exclusively loomed over our relationship, a subtle yet persistent reminder of the inherent divide. Consequently, the yearning for the profound maternal bond that seemed to evade me repeatedly remained just as poignant and unfulfilled as before. My initiation into faith began quite unexpectedly when my father and grandmother decided to take me to church. This event served as a genesis of my spiritual journey. Houston's First Baptist Church, a place that would forever hold a special significance in my heart, was the venue of my spiritual birth. It was here that at the tender age of 11, I pledged my life to Jesus stepping into the warm embrace of his divine love. My adolescence, however, was marked by a series of tumultuous events. The constant shuddering between my parents' homes was like being tossed into a relentless sea of uncertainty. Emotional upheavals became my constant companions, and I desperately searched for ways to cope with this whirlwind of change. Despite their best intentions, my parents seemed ill-prepared to navigate the complexities of the challenges I was confronting. The help they could offer was meager, and so, aiming this familiar disarray, I sought solace in church. I spent my weekdays attending youth services at various churches, finding comfort in the camaraderie of fellow young believers. 
Music became my solace, my guitar an extension of my emotions as I played in the youth worship band. Amid all the chaos and turbulence, I graduated high school, a feat that felt like a beacon of hope in an otherwise chaotic existence. Upon graduation, I embarked on a new journey, trading the comfort of home for the disciplined structure of military life. There I sat, an almost tangible silence hanging in the air in the presence of Jesus, the compassionate shepherd of all souls. His warmth radiated around me, filled the room with divine glow as comforting and life-giving as the sun's rays on a summer's day. In that instant, the love of Jesus, which I had grappled with as a distant and elusive concept, suddenly became a powerful and undeniable reality. It was no longer a foreign idea relegated to abstract theological discourse. Instead, it was a real and palpable as the man who stood before me, his presence a testament to the death and authenticity of his love. The room seemed to throb with this new understanding. His love was not merely an erethial concept, but a tangible force that permeated the air around me, enveloping me in the profound peace and acceptance. As I stood there, I felt a seismic shift within me as his love moved from a concept to a tangible lived experience. His love, embodied in his very presence, seated next to me as real and vivid as his physical form. This was not just the love of scripture or sermon. This was the love of Jesus himself, not just told, but shown, not just promised, but present. His love had manifested in my reality, no longer an outsider's view, but an intimate, personal experience. As he gently wiped away my tears, an act so tender, it felt like a soft melody whispering comfort. He held an object of immense sentimental value, the Bible case my wife had gifted me for our first Easter. His hands, firm yet gentle, reverently cradled it as if recognizing its sacred importance to me. Slowly, he extended the Bible case towards me. As I reached out to receive it, he began to recite the powerful words inscribed on its front cover. His voice, deep and resonant, filled the room, lending a newfound depth in the scripture. All things are possible with God. Matthew 19.26 Each syllable seemed to echo within the space, an auditory testament to the power of faith, its resonance reaching deep into the very core of my being. As suddenly as the encounter had unfolded, I was jerked back into the familiarity of my bed, wide awake. It was only my wife and I there, save for the haunting echoes of the words that had just been spoken. Was it a vision? A dream? Or had I indeed traversed some unimaginable reality? The boundaries seemed to blur, the details to meld, leaving me grappling with the intangible strands of the experience. Yet one thing was unmistakably clear, the profound message imparted. In that moment, something within me shifted, a transformation as profound as it was deeply personal. My heart felt inexplainably whole, once marred by fractures of past hurts in uncertainties. For the first time, I felt the love of the Lord, not as a distant, abstract concept taught in Sunday school, but as a tangible, powerful force that surged through me, its undeniable reality pulsating within my veins. The love of the Lord was no longer a mere notion 
but an experienced truth, a deeply personal and unforgettable testament of my faith. This is going to conclude this final four-part series broadcast. I hope it has brought you as much hope and encouragement as it has to me, and I pray that these pages and these words move you into greater hope in the Lord's great purposes and callings into your life. I look forward to publishing this book and getting it into the hands of millions around the world and hoping that it will also make its way into your own personal life. I believe it will profoundly encourage, strengthen, and renew your walk in Christ, giving you a greater understanding and peace surrounding the ever-unfolding events in our today's world. May you stay encouraged, keep running your race, keep fighting the good fight of faith, never lose hope, and never give up.